This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I'd like to welcome everyone to the worship of the Lord Christ this morning, especially those of you who are visiting with us today. You are our honored guest in the house of the Lord. And if everyone after worship, we'd love to have you join us with a coffee and fellowship hour, which will be in the garden and garden room to come and enjoy some camaraderie and fellowship. I'm grateful that God has brought you in to this sanctuary this morning and my prayer for us all that we would have spirits and minds open to what God would do to us and through us for this hour. And if everyone could take a moment to grab the friendship pad and to sign it and if you're visiting with us to give us some additional information such as your email address and telephone number. I want you to mark next Sunday on your calendars. We'll have a special guest preacher next week, one of our seminarians from last year, Josh Gary. So hopefully you all will make a special effort, tell other congregation members to be sure. Let's have a good turnout for Josh's opportunity to preach with us. Let us rise now and join together in the call to worship. O come, let us sing to the Lord and shout with joy to the rock of our salvation. Let us worship God.
You may be seated. As our dear God seeks to restore our relationship with God, with one another, and with all of creation, let us take comfort that in God's great love, we are already forgiven, even as we confess the ways we have harmed these very same relationships. Let us pray our prayer of confession together. Holy God, you know our needs before we are aware of them. You meet our deepest desires before we acknowledge them. Forgive us when we ignore the truth. Have mercy on us when we distrust you are at work in all things, well before events unfold. Be kind to us in our sinfulness when we believe we are the master of our destinies, that we alone can solve our problems. And help us to see and know the truth, that you alone are God, that you alone are our provider, our sustainer, our comforter. Receive our prayers this day, our God of grace. Amen. My friends, we may rejoice in this wonderful truth, the best news we will hear this day that is in Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior. We are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To this peace we were called as members of one body. The peace of Christ be with you. Let us greet one another in the name of Christ. Please be seated. So at this time, I don't see any children here, but today's message is appropriate for all of us anyway, because the children's message I had thought of was, we are all God's children. One of the most important things about church and family and fellowship and all the things that we do together is teaching each of us that we are a child of God. 
Now, about every other year, I share a story of mine, which is when I was 11 years old, I was diagnosed with a hole in my heart the size of a quarter between the two, top two chambers. My parents and others were terrified, but I wasn't. And the reason I wasn't is because my parents, my church, the people of all the church, my Sunday school teachers, everyone kept teaching me that I was a child of God. And I believed that God had plans for me and that I was a child of God, so I didn't fear it. And so it doesn't matter what age we are, it's always good to be reminded that we are indeed children of God. That each of us is a child, no matter what age we are, a stage of life, or what we're going through, or who we are. And so today, I was going to cast a blessing over the children up here on the stairs, but instead, I'm going to cast that blessing over each of you. And so I just ask that you close your eyes and remember that you are indeed a child of God. Grace and peace to you, our children. You may not know this, but we will always give thanks for you. We pray for you constantly because we love you. We love you just as God loves you. We know, children of God, that God loves you so much. There are no words to express it. There are no wonders we can perform. But we know that the power of God is in you. We can see it upon your faces. You remind us of God's love. Teach us to see the world as you do. Surprise us with the wonders you see. Show us what gifts God has given you, and we will bless you and protect you as best as we can, and we will always give thanks for you. We will bless you in the name of our God. We will bless you again and again. Grace and peace to you, our children. Grace and peace to you who show us God's glory shining through your faces. Amen. And something you all might not know is that we as the clergy and Ray and all the musicians and all the staff, we pray for you all almost every day, definitely every week and definitely every Wednesday. If you ever need a prayer, just reach out to us and we'll pray for you. Amen. week, we encounter a few brief words from Jesus delineating the rumors surrounding, swirling around John the Baptist and him. He paints the diametrically opposed points of view of, with John the Baptist representing um, the aesthetic side of faith and Jesus representing the side that seeks to embrace joy, uh, embrace and enjoy life. Neither one of these options turns out to be at the heart of the gospel, and that's what we will explore today. Let us pray. Dear God, as we seek to find happiness in our lives, may we instead discover the true joy found in your loving embrace. Amen. From the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, 
verses 16 through 19. But to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he is a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. The word of the Lord. This passage has disclosed a fundamental tension in faith. The tension between self-denial and self-fulfillment, between our sinful natures and our divine spark, between a God who demands everything from us and a God who gives us all that we need. Throughout history, the church has waxed and waned between these extremes. Most interestingly, during the Middle Ages, there was an order of monks known as the Flagellants, and they literally whipped themselves every time they felt what they thought was inappropriate pleasure or to suppress sinful actions. Now, over and against the Flagellants were mystic women who prayed with such ecstatic fervor that they experienced sheer physical delight in the midst of prayer with God. Now, this tension is manifest in the Christian faith from the very beginning, and we see it disclosed in our passage this morning in Jesus' comments about John the Baptist and himself. Now, John famously emerges from the wilderness, wild-eyed, wearing a a camel's hair coat, which supposedly was horribly itchy. He ate locust and wild honey, and he emerges from the wilderness, essentially screaming at the people, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, because of his wild-eyed nature and harsh message, John was accused of being possessed by a demon. He represented the ascetic, self-denial side of the faith. But Jesus doesn't fare any better in the common points of view of the people. They refer to him as a glutton and a drunkard because he evidently enjoyed the simple pleasures of life. Now, faith doesn't need one or the other, but rather we need to find it within our journey to embrace both of these extremes to their fullest. This is not simply a milk-toast middle in which we do some of both. Think of this as a high-wire act. And if you're just simply holding that high-wire in the middle, then both ends droop to the ground and you can't possibly walk across it. But if you hold the tension on both extremes, suddenly you can walk the tightrope of faith. 
This is the path of faith that requires a strong understanding of sorrow and joy with equal strength and fervor. Now, a faith only of sweetness and life can be as shallow as eating an entire tub of whipped cream, which I always enjoy doing on my birthday as a child, but it left me feeling miserable. But a faith so immersed in guilt and shame can be necrotic and eventually lead you to deny the goodness of God. A faith which demands nothing of you turns God into a vending machine that, whose lever we can pull whenever we feel that we have need, but a faith which leaves no room for a personal pleasure or fulfillment can become an act of self-loathing. Now, throughout the Bible, God, like any good parent, or rather, I should say, any good parent like God, both comforts and reprimands his children. Now, sometimes I feared Grandma Ryan. You've heard me say before that if I stepped a little bit out of line on a Sunday, I might find myself on the dreaded deacon's bench where I was forced to contemplate the errors of my ways for what seemed like hours. And we should fear God. The Bible tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That fear helps to keep us honest. And it helps keep us faithful. And yet, despite this dual witness in Scripture, there is a decided bias that Scripture has. And as Karl Barth, that Swiss theologian, famously said, God's yes is louder than God's no. The final word is not judgment, but grace. And the final description of you is not sinner, but beloved child of God. Not only is the final word yes, but the primary word for you and me today even in the midst of whatever sorrow you might be experiencing, the final word, even now, is joy. And we can see this in the life of Jesus. And now, most of the depictions of Jesus, even in Scripture, convey him as being serious, uh, moody even, filled with compassion, yes, but sometimes scary, or perhaps even worse, just plain dull. And we have the impression from centuries of interpretation about that Jesus was a solemn man and that the only thing he did was go about preaching, doing miracles, and speaking profoundly. But our passage this morning shows us this wasn't the case. Otherwise, these rumors would not be floating around about Jesus being a glutton and a drunkard. The gospel writers, whether they realized it or not, were clearly disclosing a different side of the Lord than we normally encounter. And it shows us that he was, indeed, able to enjoy the simple things of life and to enjoy those especially with those whom no one else would, the so-called tax collectors and sinners of his time. 
Christianity's central message after all is called the good news of the gospel. Perhaps you sang that camp song, I've got good news, good news, good news, good news. It is good news. And Christians should reflect that in their hearts and their minds and in their manner. But of course we know that the cross has two sides to it or two phases to it. And the irony is that for everyone to have true access to this greatest of good news requires the most horrific of bad news in order to get there. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. But this is the key. Jesus did not suffer that fate on Calvary so that we could experience lives of bad news, but of good. And therefore, Jesus, in this mystery, transforms the very nature of suffering and pain, suddenly become the primary conduit by which we discover the everlasting and indestructible good news of God. Thus, the tension. And so because of this, Paul is even or perhaps especially able to rejoice in his sufferings, in his physical infirmity, his feuds with fellow Christians, his tragic shipwrecks, his beating from the Romans. But while in prison, he sings. He sings hymns, which are songs of joy of the very glory of God. And I have seen this joy in the eyes of men. I have seen it in their souls and I've heard it in their songs in Trenton State Maximum Security Prison. It was the worship on Sunday morning there. They had done terrible things in their lives just as the Apostle Paul had. But they had given their lives to Christ while in prison. And yes, this sounds very evangelical, but it was also very true. So though they were in earthly bondage, their spirits were free. And this is the truest good news that any of us could possibly ever hear. Now, there are many aspects of good news in this world. It's good news when the college acceptance comes. It's good news when the promotion happens at work, when the health scare is averted. But as wonderful as these pieces of good news are, they're all ultimately fleeting and temporary. They can all be lost. The college may not work out. The health problem could return. And the promotion could wind up leading you to a job that you never wanted to begin with. But the good news of the gospel cannot be lost. 
that can only be found. Now, this fundamental tension of faith between joy and sorrow, suffering and hope, was perhaps one of the primary reasons that it took C.S. Lewis, the famous Christian author, so long to become a person of faith. He wrote, My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But over time, God wore him down through conversations with J.R.R. Tolkien, through reading George MacDonald and others. And he came to this profound insight. The hardness of God is softer than the kindness of men, he wrote. Thus, when he came to see the central truth of Christianity, he wrote a book entitled, Surprised by Joy. It describes his conversion. And like many of us, he confused the extreme demands of Christianity, of which there are many. He confused those with the notion that Christianity is a life bereft of happiness. But instead, as the title confesses, he was surprised by joy. He was surprised by the joy that he found in faith. Now, becoming a Christian doesn't mean you are unfailingly happy, far from it. Because happiness and joy are two distinct experiences. Because joy comes through the work of suffering. Suffering out of love. Thus we read in John's Gospel that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. C.S. Lewis wrote this incredible truth about the nature of love. To love at all is to be vulnerable. And your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to be sure of keeping it intact, don't give your heart to anyone, not even an animal. Thus we come to know joy, that coming to know joy is coming to know the essence of love itself. Some years ago, when I was a pastor in Idaho, my family experienced a tragedy. And the regular ways in which I found comfort from family and familiar pleasures couldn't release me from the sorrow. It was a sorrow like a deep, dark cave that I could not see any way out of. But Sunday rolled around, like it seems to do every week, as one preacher called the relentless return of the Sabbath, 
and on this relentless return of the Sabbath, I didn't want to get up and lead worship. I felt vulnerable. I felt afraid. I didn't want to draw attention to myself. But I was surprised. When the opening hymn played, which was ironically, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. And in that song, healing tears flowed. The sorrow for the loss our family had experienced was still present, but the pain had been transformed. God wants us to find joy in our lives. But if this only means personal pleasure, it will become hollow and empty. True joy only comes through true love, which, as C.S. Lewis observed, also includes some hardship and pain. But remember, the final word from God is always love. Amen.
This is the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here the community of faith gathers. United in baptism, we eat of one bread and drink of one cup. We confess one name, are obedient to one Lord, and we share one hope. So come to the table where our unity in Christ becomes visible and where the triune God gathers, protects, and cares for the church. be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. God of majesty and splendor, by your power you created all that is, making a universe out of chaos and ruling over all things in love. Through the ages you called your people to love and to serve you and to be your light to the nations. When we failed you, you did not fail us and sent prophets to call us back. We praise you that in the fullness of time, you revealed your love by sending your son Jesus to be the light of the world. He came to heal our brokenness and to set before us the ways of justice and peace. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with the faithful of every time and place who forever sing to the glory of your name. Almighty God, you loved the world so much that when it was the right time, you sent your only Son to be our Savior. Incarnate by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, he lived as one of us, yet without sin. To the poor, he proclaimed the good news of salvation, to prisoners, freedom, to the sorrowful, joy. To fulfill your purpose, he gave himself up to death and rising from the grave, destroyed death and made the whole creation new. Lord, our God, send your Holy Spirit so that this bread and cup may be for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we and all your saints be united with Christ and remain faithful in hope and love. Gather your whole church, O Lord, into the glory of your kingdom. 
We pray in the name of Jesus, the one who gave us tender words to speak to you, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night of his arrest, when he had his last supper with his dear friends, took bread. And after giving thanks to God, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In a similar way, after the supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Do this too in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the death and resurrection of our Lord until he comes again. Friends, the gifts of God for the people of God. Amen.
Let us pray. Our loving and merciful God, we thank you from the depths of our hearts, our very beings, for the gift of your Son, for the gift of this meal, for the gift of being in relationship with you, for the gift of representing you to the world. Grant us grace to live lives that reflect your mercy and help us to love you and each other every moment of every day. Amen. joy and sorrow, but remember the final word from God is always love. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest upon us all from this moment on and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>